0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Our topic today is God's vengeance and the trampling of the Son of God. God's vengeance and the trampling of the Son of God. I must confess that this will be a difficult sermon for me. I don't like to preach about the vengeance of God in a sense. Um, I prefer to preach and probably you prefer prefer to hear. um, Of God's kindness. Of God's grace. um, And not of his. Vengeance. Upon sin. And upon sinners. It's one of the calls of expository preaching. You have to preach the text that's in front of you. Let me just remind us where we've been, congregation. Hebrews chapter 10, verses. 19 to 25. The apostle begins. His. Section on application and implication from the doctrinal section, which which began at chapter eight, verse one to all the way to chapter 10, verse 18. That was the pinnacle of the theology of the book of Hebrews, that Christ, our high priest and his blood is sufficient to save us. It was very good news. It was the kindness of God. Then in chapter 10, verse 19 to 25, he begins his exhortation, also in the kindness of God. Since we have confidence to enter through the holy place by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus, we draw near, we hold fast, and we uh, not neglect to meet together and encourage one another in the sound faith. It was nice um, language, it's a good message. And then, our text this morning is about God's vengeance and there's nothing nice in it. And then he sandwiches that with verses 32 to 39 with another nice, encouraging exhortation. So you have the kindness of God in verses 19 to 25. You have the vengeance and the severity of God in verses 26 to 31. And you have again the kindness of God. Of God in verses 32 to 39. Are you with me? The context in this. This is why Paul said in Romans 11.22. Note then the kindness and severity of the living God. We need both. We need both. So our text this morning is about the vengeance and the trampling of the Son of God. Our outline this morning, point one is God's vengeance. Vengeance. And point two is who's in danger. Who is in danger of God's vengeance? Would you stand with me as we read verses 26 to 31? For if we go on sinning deliberately. After receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. This is God's Word today. My fear is that some of you are here today and you're outside of Christ. And it's going to be terrifying for you to fall into the hands of the living God. Almost 300 years ago, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon. He preached it twice. The first time was in Enfield, Connecticut. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. I wonder if the church has this message today. I wonder if you have this message today in your soul. I want to point out to you four features of God's vengeance, all right? It comes straight from the text. And then we'll look at who's in danger. And I pray that you would fly to Christ today. The first feature of God's vengeance is legal. It's legal. Verse 26 if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I'll explain that a little later. But our fearful expectation of judgment of judgment God's vengeance will be legal it will be the act of a just judge it will be a sentencing a ruling a decision from the almighty no motions made no objections rendered to this judge however the final sentencing to every Man and woman and child who has ever lived on this earth. God's vengeance will be legal. And you will find that your sin is the cause for why you will spend eternal condemnation in God's justice. It will be legal. Second, it will be intense. If you go on sinning deliberately, beloved, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. So God is not a little angry with sin. He is furious. With sin. He is, as our catechism said earlier, terribly angry with sin. He is intensely angry. There's a ferocity about our God. Truly, He is the angry God. Richard Muller says divine anger is not a change of emotion in God. No, no, no. But His constant purpose in punishing sin. So, everything that causes pain and heartache in your life and in this world will be punished forever intensely by God. In eternity. Number three. His vengeance will be overwhelming. It will be legal. It will be intense. It will be overwhelming. A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire, the text says in verse 27, that will consume the adversaries. It will will wash over you. It will consume you. It will overwhelm you. It's taken from Isaiah 26, 11. Let them see your zeal. Isaiah said he prayed this way. Let them see your zeal for your people. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. Well, Isaiah's prayer will come to reality at some point. God's vengeance will swallow up. It will be overwhelming for those outside of Christ. Terry Johnson says hell is the place. This is absolutely unbelievable. Hell is the place where he who can do the worst to you does the worst to you. Oh, my God. forth it will be dreadful it will be fearful drop your eyes down to verse 30 For we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you live as if hell isn't real, and if you go on sinning deliberately as if nothing has changed in your life, you will find hell to be extremely real and overwhelming to your soul. It is a fearful and dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is absolutely terrifying. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, or 24. As you know, the greatest preacher on hell is the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, verse 45, you're going to ha- be introduced to two types of servants a wise one and a wicked one. Jesus is teaching here about the final day, the day of days. Who then, verse 45? Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to? Give them their food at the proper time. is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will be set over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know. And our Lord has these fearful words and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So fearful and terrifying and dreadful is the vengeance of God that Jesus describes it here as being cut in pieces. Can you think of anything more awful and more fearful than being dismembered? Look, Jesus uses a metaphor of being cut in pieces not to downplay the reality of hell. He uses a metaphor to speak in a language we might know. In other words, the metaphor of being dismembered does not downplay hell. It doesn't even, it doesn't even reach the the awful nature of hell. Do you understand? Thank you. There are we weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Luke 16, you don't need to go there. The rich man begs, Lazarus, dip the end of your finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. I'm so consumed with with fire that could you just give me a little bit of uh, water and there will be nothing left to give except vengeance and justice. The rich man pleads, well, go tell my brothers then. Send someone to go tell my brothers, lest they come here with me. I don't want them here. Whatever your view of God is, beloved. It must include this. Or you do not have the God of the Bible. Most people today, Christians included, do not tremble at the judgment of God. R.C. Sproul had it right. Instead of sinners in the hands of an angry God, now it's God in the hands of angry sinners. We do not tremble at the living God. Our world thinks this message today we're looking at is untrue, unhelpful, unhealthy, damaging to self. And the church rarely talks about it. We need to hear this text this morning and we need to feel this text today lest we craft a God of our felt needs. God is a God of vengeance. Number two, who's in danger? Who's in danger? Number one, uh, those, verse 26, Back to Hebrews chapter 10. Those who go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. I don't think that any one particular sin is in view here. Adultery, pornography, you can fill in the blank. Why is that? Both the present tense of the verb sinning Continuous action and the word deliberately. Willingly. Happily. It gets out a spirit of proud defiance, a settled disposition, show us that what is being described here is a consistent attitude and therefore a lifestyle that displays contempt for God. So. If you go on sinning deliberately, notice the verb, notice the pronoun there, if we he doesn't say the world if we he's writing to a church the visible church, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If sin is a companion. If you go on sinning in a spirit of proud defiance over and over again and presuming upon the grace of God. You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Warnings, beloved, they're meant to shake us and then they're meant to push us away from pride and presumption. That's what warnings are for in the Bible. Promises, on the other hand, draw us to Christ. They woo us to him, but the warnings are meant to push us away from pride and presumption. Have assurance, yes, but don't have presumption. If you live like you don't know Christ, you don't know him. Secondly, who's in danger? Those who have trampled underfoot the son of God. How much worse punishment, verse 29, do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? So here's Jesus Christ, he lays down his life for his people to be received, to be worshiped. And yet folks do all the time. They get some knowledge, it says they get some religion, they get some truth. They see Jesus for who he is and they say, no, thanks. And they step on his neck. I'll take something else. Third. Who's in danger? They profane the blood of the covenant. Verse 29. Trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profane the blood of the covenant. They regard the blood of Christ as common. Is the sense here. So the blood of Emmanuel's veins means nothing to them. As Robert Murray McShane taught us earlier in the first half of that hymn. Jehovah Sikena was nothing to me. He was nothing to me. He was nothing to me. So these folks, they, they look at the cross of Christ, they look at the blood of Jesus, and they say, what a waste. What a waste. For Jesus to die for me. Fourth. They outrage the spirit of grace who's in danger those who outrage the spirit of grace. The spirit of God is. His agent in Revelation, chapter three, verse seven, the spirit is the verifier of the revelation spoken through God, the son Two four, he is the agent of Christ's sacrifice nine fourteen, and yet whatever the spirit did to display the gospel to these Christians whatever miracles he worked whatever striving he he may have had in their hearts when these people step on the neck of Christ and treat his blood as nothing more than dirt the spirit is outraged and thus there remains no sacrifice for sin because you cut off the one who can save you from your sin Lastly, who's in danger? Those who are his people. This should get our attention. Verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge whom? The world. His people? Those who are in danger are said to be his people. Every single one of us in this room is in danger of God's vengeance. It's meant to warn you. You can get to a place in your supposed Christian life where you so sin deliberately and willingly. I won't do that. I'm not going to do that, what God calls me to do. For a decade upon decade, and this warning is right for you. It doesn't matter what you confess. How does how does it what does it mean that you and I are in danger of receiving his vengeance? How is it how What does it mean that His people, He he will judge His people? Well, turn to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, 17. You need to understand that the Bible uses the phrase His people to describe the visible church. He will not judge His elect, His invisible church, but He will judge the visible church. And there are times in the Bible where his people are called simply uh, from the visible church perspective. Ezekiel 34, verse 17. As for you, my flock, he says, thus says the Lord, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep. Between rams and male goats. So he calls the Old Testament people, the old covenant people of God, My flock, knowing he's going to judge them because some of them aren't truly his. And yet all of them receive the title my flock. Which is exactly what Hebrews is talking about when it says vengeance is mine. I will repay the Lord will judge his people. He will judge the visible church. So this warning is for each and every one of us this morning. Let me conclude with this simple warning and plea. Take heed to yourself. Lest you fall. Lest you fall. If you presume upon the grace of God. And go on sinning deliberately. Treating the blood of Christ as nothing to you. You will fall away. You will And the only thing you can expect, the author of Hebrews says, on that day is a fury of fire. Here's my plea. Get inside Christ. There's another way. There is another way. Christ The son of God took on flesh. To receive the very vengeance of God we've been talking about. Hide yourself in the rock of Christ. Get in him. Take him today. As long as today, the apostle says is called today, right? In chapter three, as long as today is called today, do not harden your hearts. Listen. You and I are going to continue in sin. I know that's not a newsflash. But are you doing it deliberately? Or repentantly? That's the difference. That's the difference. Jesus loves to save sinners who call out to Him Hide me in this blood, and I want to drink of this fountain forever. There's another way. Have you come inside Christ today? young, old. Let's pray. Our Lord. We thank you for Christ. And for the very gospel that. He gives us. We thank you for his blood being absolutely sufficient. And I pray that out of our union with Christ, as we still fall and falter in sin daily, oh God, might we hate sin in our lives. May we take heed to ourselves, lest we come to the day. Where no sacrifice remains for us. And so congregation, I invite you to come to the very table where the sacrifice of Christ is pictured. If you are a sinner. A repentant sinner over and over and over again and you need, you have a sense of your need for Christ daily, come to the table. But if you are one who sins deliberately with a high hand, with a spirit of proud defiance, do not come. do not come. Come empty and absolutely broken for Christ. Amen.